Hello and welcome to Raise the Room podcast. I'm your host, Danica. Here at Raise the Room, we are trying to consciously raise our kids, re-raise ourselves, and by doing so, raise the vibe of any room we walk into simply with our authenticity. Now let's get to it. Roomies, welcome back to another episode of Raise the Room. I am your host, Danica. Today we have a really fun and informative interview with Michelle Surtees from Tough Cookie Communications. She is the author of the book called Crummy Conversations, How to Talk with Kids About Death, Divorce, Diagnosis, Disaster, and Departure. Whew, all the good stuff. Michelle and I get into what led her to writing the book, what the book is about, life after the book, which has been quite interesting for her. We talk about what it means to be a developmentalist parent, which I love this term. It's sort of aligned with conscious or attachment parent, although I cringe at attachment parent. I have a a negative connotation with that. So I think from now on, I will use conscious and developmentalist simultaneously. Uh, We go into some myth busting about child resilience and more. Honestly, it's just a fun, natural conversation between two moms trying to figure it out. Michelle is so smart and informative and honestly inspiring because I think she's really confident in her messaging and confident in what she's putting out in the world, but she's also really real and talks about how we you know, aren't perfect all of the time. And yeah, there was just something so relatable and authentic about her and how she delivers this information that really resonated for me. So I know that you roomies are going to enjoy this like I did. I'm also coming to you hot off the heels the day we have listed our house. So (laughs) I'm all over the map. I know I said I would keep you all updated. Um, Yeah. It's already got a lot of interest. Who knows? That might fizzle. I mean, I'm trying to just keep a cool head about it, but it is, it's wild times because we are now coming on, uh, coming up on August 1st, which I'm recording before August. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so in somehow in the next 30 days, we're packing up our house and moving. We don't have a house to move to. And I don't even have my son signed up for school yet, but like that might be happening. <laughs> So again, just be patient uh, with me about getting out podcast episodes. I know you are. I know you understand. And I just like sharing my life with you. So I wanted to fill you in on that. Back to Michelle. I've got an Amazon link in the show notes for you to purchase her book. Highly recommend. It is short. It is easy to read. It's super helpful. The model that she uses to talk to your kids about these really difficult life transitions is so user-friendly and smart and very aligned with all the things we talk about here at Raise the Room. So I highly, highly recommend it. And so without further ado, I'm going to steal Michelle's (laughs) phrase that she used. And I hope you enjoy listening to all this big mom energy on this podcast. Okay, Michelle, it's so nice to have you on. I know we've gone back and forth and rescheduled and cartwheeled back a few different times <laughs> yeah. as as busy mothers do. Um, so I'm excited that we're actually chatting tonight. How are you yeah, feeling? Thank you. thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we made it happen. 
Yes. And we're two Vancouver Island girls. We haven't met yet, but got connected through a mutual friend. So I'm really excited to be talking to somebody local. Mm -hmm, Me as well. Kind of dumb that we're on the computer, but. Totally. totally. (laughs) So I haven't figured that out. It's easier when your babies are sleeping. Yes. True. Yeah. Very true. Um, So why don't you kindly tell the people who you are, what you're about, anything you feel like sharing, even though I've already given them a little blurby about you. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm a mom of three. I have a four-year-old, a six-year-old and a 12-year-old. And I have a background in like family service, social service work, lots of different roles. Um, And I sort of came to that point in my career where I wanted to, um, you know, offer something that could be more preventative and less after the fact, less of an intervention and more of a prevention. And at the same time was really grappling with like, what do I have to offer Mm. in this work, in this world as a mom, as a professional, what am I bringing? And um, I'd had this model for how to communicate with kids about change on my heart for a long time, five years, didn't really know what to do with it. And then sort of um, just took that action step of, okay, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to put the model out there. Um, and then it was my publisher who said, you know, you really have to tell people, um, you have to tell enough of your story that people know what, that you know what you're talking about. Mm. You can't just give the world a model and say, try this. You have to share a little bit of um, the why around it, both the professional and personal. And so um, what I thought might, I might, I thought I might not have a lot to say about it. It turned out to have a, a quite a bit to say <laughs> about it. <laughs> and um And the book kind of like took on a little bit of an evolution of its own. Um, And then from that, um, the book was published in October, 2022. And then from that, I've done some sort of speaking um, around like empathy as an intervention and connection as a tool and really that parenting approach around um, behavior as communication. And um, I've gotten more clear too every time I speak and every time I meet with someone around, you know, when I'm at my best self, when I am the least stressed, these are the ways that I I want to parent or that I think are the intervention. Um, and just also really clear that it doesn't mean that it happens every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, our mutual friend, Caitlin, that connected us said that to me. She goes like, Michelle is really similar to you in that she has a very clear idea of what best practice is, but she's also really realistic like you. And I'm like, yes, these are my people. Right? (laughs) Yeah. And if we tell people that we're getting it right all the time, like we're doing everybody a disservice, ourselves included. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how I found myself here. And now I'm kind of in that year after the book, um, weirdness where you kind of cracked yourself open a little bit like you dug deep to really bring that out and um to bring that to the finish line and there's a little bit of a like I might have cracked myself a tiny bit more than I intended Mm -hmm. so now we're gonna work on that Mm -hmm. and you know um because I I have three kids and I want to be a really connected and attuned parent I also have limited time to pursue next steps so I'm in the in-between and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect with you and learn a bit about what you do as well. I'm just really happy to have an exchange of our minds. Yeah, I will be coming back to this after the book 
um, question period. Okay. <laughs> I'm very interested in that. Um, but to connect all that you just said, of course, mm-hmm. to your human design, I want to get into that. And it's funny because as you were talking about wanting to help and sort of do things that are more preventative, mm-hmm. I think it's so just classic that your first answer was to, well, like, I'll write a whole book because <laughs> yeah. as a generator, when we love something, you know, you get to focus on it and be gifted sort of this extra energy when you're doing the things that you love. So generators really are here to kind of master the things that they love because when they're doing something they love, they get lit up with joy and then they're gifted more energy to continue doing that. Mm -hmm. So if writing is something that makes you feel aligned, if it's something that brings you joy, then yeah, the natural response is to do a whole book as opposed to like a freebie PDF or whatever else. A blog post. Just do a blog post for the love of God. (laughs) You're like, okay, so the answer is novel. All right, let's go. 60,000 words, no problem. I love that. But, you know, the rest of us are so lucky to be around generators when they're in their joy because you raise the room. It's the name of the Mm. podcast, but your um, vibration and your auric field actually expands when you're in your joy. So we get to feel the benefit of being around somebody who is aligned and doing the things that light them up. So Mm. feel free to use that as your excuse the next time you need some alone time. (laughs) Thank you. I will. Yeah, that totally resonates. Yeah. You know, when I um, have talked about writing, for me, it's like coming home, Mm. right? It's like there's this coming home to myself where it's like, okay, this is the most content I am in the world Mm. is is processing. And really, it's very cathartic Mm because you're sorting stuff out in your head that Mm. can be messy until it's not so messy on paper. Um, and so that really resonates for me. And as you're talking, I was like, okay, but what's the other side of that? <laughs> like being around a generator when they're in their joy is beautiful. Mm-hmm. How awful am I to be around mm-hmm. when I'm not writing? Mm-hmm. No comment. Right? Not said. <laughs> okay. No, actually, I mean, it's not even that, but the, I was actually thinking the other side of that is, and I talk, I'm like a broken record saying this, mm-hmm. but tr- um, transitions are really difficult for generators mm-hmm. because moving out of doing the thing that they love is frustrating for them. So yeah. we see it a ton in our generator children. Like they are the kids that need the visual timer. Yeah. They are the kids that need the front loading of like, this will end in however many minutes and, you know, mm-hmm. it's going to feel hard, but we'll be okay type thing. Yeah. So um, it's not necessarily that you totally drag down the mood when you're not in your joy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's something to just consider that the moving out of that because our life is full of, you know, a balance of doing what we love and our obligations, you need to be mindful of how your presence does affect the people around you. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then what's beautiful, I think, about what you do and how you communicate is actually that you are a sacral generator and sacral generators are all about following their gut instincts 
Now, we use gut instinct, but really what it is, is it's any sort of physical sensation that you get Mm -hmm. when an opportunity comes your way. So generators typically um, will have a certain sensation when something feels like a yes, like an opportunity or something they want, and they have a certain sensation when there's a no and something that they don't want. Does that resonate for you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in the moment and it's allowed and it's a physical response. And, you know, you are meant to be spontaneous. You're meant to be somebody who can just know and make split decisions. Of Mm -hmm. course, you're going to make mistakes. Of course, like we're humans. We're human. Totally. But it's actually aligned for you to trust that sensation and go with it. So I always say to my sacral clients, it's like, you can still do the logical decision-making. You can still do the pros and cons list, Mm -hmm. but if the opportunity has a ton of pros, but in your body, it feels like a no, then it's still a no. Yeah. And yeah, I'm definitely versa. not a pro and con list maker. I'm, a, I'm, I'm for sure go with how it feels. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's great because I think especially people that work with other people and are in social work, sort of like you mm. were, can I say that? Is that what it was? Yeah. Totally. yeah. 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 Um, that we're working with people and you have to kind of in the moment intuitively get a feel for the mm-hmm. situation and the people that you're with. That is such a gift. That is such um uh, a benefit or a beneficial part of your design for that job, because you probably were able to get a read on things quickly, I assume. Yeah, I definitely. Okay. And I think, you know, for anyone who who's read my book, I talk a lot about being like a deeply feeling person. And I talk a lot about, um, you know, empathy as an intervention, not being an empath, that's a different story. But you know, being using empathy as the tool for connection and attunement. And um. I think that I have honed that hypervigilant capacity to immediately sort of suss out what might be happening for people and how I can um, attune to their need to the, to the best benefit of everybody in the room. So it doesn't mean necessarily that you're catering to everyone's feeling, but you're able to kind of go in and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is what's happening right now. Yeah. The immediate need is to deescalate person A. Yes. That's great. I love that. It very much is in alignment with being a person with sacral authority. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. And then the next part of your chart, which we share, is that you're a 2-4 like me. And so, again, makes sense that you love writing because twos love to be alone. (laughs) We need a nest. Actually, the official name for the second line in human design is hermit. The hermit. Yeah. Yeah, it really does not help you as a mother of small children. No, like, right. My mantra regularly is like, this is a season of my life where there are things that are not going to be aligned for me. And that's okay. It's frustrating, but I will get there. That's a beautiful mantra. So just like nothing is permanent, right? Yeah. So the other thing about the second line is that um, we often bring to the table gifts or sort of something that we're naturally good at without really trying, or we're just, we know, Mm. and we don't know how, but it's difficult for us to see that about ourselves. We need the people in our lives to reflect back to us what they see us being good at. Mm. 
would that look like, um, you know, uh, validation seeking or wanting to be seen, wanting to be acknowledged for what you do? Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Well, that doesn't come up for me at all ever. <laughs> right. She's raising yeah, her eyebrows. Sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Big yeah. seeker of the validation. Over I know. Here. I actually was relating to that in, in the yeah. book a lot, yeah. but, um, yeah. and not even necessarily always validation seeking, but like, I've had, and I'm sure you've had tons of moments in your life where people share how, you know, you've made them feel or what they've just witnessed Mm. you do. And you go, really? Like you didn't Mm. realize you were even doing anything, maybe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's how the second line operates. It's just, they just are. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's interesting is that when you're a two, four, the four is all about your personal network, being able to make strong connections quickly with the people that feel right. We're choosy about who those people and what those places are. But when when somebody feels right for us, like we go deep instantly. It's like, no, there's no small talk. We're getting into it. (laughs) Yeah, we're not good at the small talk. Yeah. And then through those people, we get given our best life opportunities. Yeah. So it's kind of the nepotistic line a little bit. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. I like it. But in a beautiful way, because it's like yeah. the the strength of your relationships really dictates the quality of your opportunities. Yes. And being a second line, you need that that network of yours to yeah. tell you what they're seeing in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely resonates for me because I just know how much I value relationship. Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, that, um, I, you know, the people that I have, that I hold close, like that, that's a real sacred thing mm-hmm. above many other things. Yes. And I would the circle I, small. Like, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's very common. I actually saw a meme where it was like, Fourth lines are going to be choosy about the people and the places and the things like we Ah. know what we're like. We we actually have the gift of discernment because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was thinking about you writing your book and actually Mm -hmm. even just maybe even just anything in your life, it'd be interesting for you to take inventory about all of the opportunities that have come your way and how many of them you can connect to a relationship that you have, Mm. a community, something like that. Mm. Like my example is always, I met my husband because my best friend from my hometown and his best friend from his hometown Mm. went to school up North and met there and got together and came home and said, I've got somebody really great for you. And he is also a two, four. So it was both of our fourth lines working together to connect us. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I sort of just kind of thought that's how the world works. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's how we meet people and we find jobs and we, uh, things just unfold via relationship. I mean, a hundred percent. It's yeah. just that it is heightened in a fourth line's life. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it really shapes how your life is going when your relationships are not in a good state. It has an effect, and that's obviously true for everybody. But like anything in human design, there's sort of all of these universal truths, and then there's that almost elevated or escalated sort of truth to it when it's in your chart. Oh, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, thank you for letting me um, go deep on your personality. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I know. So enough of that, but I'm sure people are like, okay, can you just tell me what her book is about? Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe I've said so in the intro already, but I would love for us to get into what is your book about? Yes, yeah. you talked about um, being a social worker and wanting to help people. So by this point, they probably guess it's not like one of the fantasy smut novels that I keep talking about on my Instagram. It's not. No, okay. <laughs> although I did joke at the end of my book, like it would be more fun to have written a Samantha Irby essay, which is like totally inappropriate and hilarious and mm-hmm. also deep but cringeworthy deep yes um but no it's not that it's not that (laughs) um it's not a light beach read necessarily although I I very much so um wrote it in a light way so yes isn't all heavy yeah um but yeah it's a super simple concept and not rocket science at all and it's just you know how do we talk to kids and with kids when they're in the midst of the biggest life changes and how do we help them navigate those big life changes, um, you know, with the least amount of compounding trauma and the most amount of resilience. And so I looked at the top five, um, death, divorce, moving diagnosis, um, What's the last one? What else did I look at? Departure. Departure. That's moving. Death, divorce, diagnosis. Diagnosis, disaster, and departure. So that's sort Mm. of like your uh, pandemic, shall we say, Mm. global, could be community if you live in a a tight community. Mm -hmm. So I looked at those top five, um, and then I sort of studied the research around how do we... um, provide interventions when change happens and what is that and the reason why it's not rocket science is because the intervention is you as the primary caregiver Mm. so it is about how we connect how we attune and how we show up how we be so you know Dr. Vanessa will point says this a lot like the doing is actually the being Mm -hmm. and so um I was seeing people, I see people all the time on social media and they look for, they want a script when something goes wrong. You know, how do we tell our kids about the school shooting? How do we, how do I talk to um, my child about my upcoming divorce from their other parent? And we see scripts and scripts are great because they give people some structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes they take the sort of the, um, the energy away from the parent that actually, you know, you've got it within you because Mm -hmm. it is just you. Mm -hmm. It's not so much what you say or what you don't say. Yes. So I looked at all those pieces um, and then wrote a model that gives you sort of some goalposts. So if you're the type of person that you're going through something like a divorce um, or a loss and you're like, how am I going to help my tiny human get through this? Um, it gives you some goalposts. It talks about how we bring um, the conversations to the forefront, addressing the past, the present, and the future with our tiny humans. And I break it primarily for caregivers, parents, um, but also um, teachers and therapists. There's sort of some examples in there and how we do those things. Um, And we sort of ultimately really look at a little bit of the neuroscience around children's developing brains and, and a big chunk of it is relational. So how do we relationally get our kids through these 
these pieces. And I think, you know, sometimes the most interesting things to talk about um, when we talk about change and how it impacts kids is that, you know, trauma is not the incident. It's the meaning that is made from what's happened. So it's what our children don't, isn't communicated to them and they don't know and they make up a story and they make meaning and that compounds within them for years and years and years. That becomes the trauma. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, there's a lot of people I've talked to that feel like uh, kids are born resilient and they are not. That's Mm -hmm. the hill I'll die on. Mm -hmm. You know, our our babies are not born resilient. Resilience takes practice and opportunity. So our job through these changes that we all go through in life is to create opportunities to practice resilience. Um, And I think I give an example in the book about, you know, we don't throw our kids into the deep end of a pool and say, oh, you got it. You're resilient. You got this. You know, we give them swimming lessons. And then maybe we go in the pool with a life jacket. Mm. And then we go in the deep end and we say, you got this. Because we built up to it. And so, you know, that resilient piece is really important. Yes. Um, And then I just... Go ahead. No, if you keep going, I just, I have, there's so much to say. I'm like, right. I know, but please go keep going. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So a big part of the book is about, you know, as adults, we really can't help our little people if we are not regulated ourselves. Mm. We're not cool, calm, collected for the most part. And that's really hard if you're also in a high stress environment. So a high stress change, like a divorce um, or a death or, a you know, major move, like those pieces are really difficult. Or a nightly so, bedtime. Or a nightly bedtime. <laughs> very, also very high stress. Yeah. yeah. So the model uh, addresses that, that we cannot have these conversations with our children. We cannot give them information about the past, present and future if we're not, have not first done our work. So it offers some ideas about what that looks like. And really, it's just a giant uh, suggestion. Here's what I think works. Here's why I think it works. Um, If you come from a background where you have a family that doesn't talk about things, or you come from a background of maybe most of us in our age group were raised um, in a very behaviorist model, there's going to be components of the book that are going to be difficult. Yes. Or are going to feel like this would never work or this is ridiculous or this is too soft. Yes. Um, or too permissive. Like people will struggle with those components. And um, it's different than a behaviorist rigid model. Yes. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, I'm laughing because to me and in the work that I have done and the work that I'm doing, I read the book just like... <laughs> Yeah, check, 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 check. Yeah. Like to me, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. But um, to people that maybe follow more traditional parenting model or to people who haven't uh, been curious about their own patternings ever yeah. or people that, yeah, are just sort of on autopilot, you're right. This book might yeah. be a tough pill to swallow. However, 
I love the model. I have implemented it with my son about us moving. And I was snickering as you were talking about how so much of sitting down with kids in these conversations is just about presence and about your energy and what you're bringing to the table. Because my seven-year-old, he is insanely curious. Like I'm talking everything's a who, what, where, when, why, and we have to fill Mm -hmm. it in all the time. And he asks tough questions, but when I feel good in sharing with him what I'm sharing that's age appropriate, the conversation, he'll ask a couple more questions and then it'll be done. And the, Mm -hmm. the thing that I'm doing there is delivering with confidence. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. There there are times where he has asked me questions that have thrown me and I'm not sure. And he picks up, he's super sensitive too. He yes. picks up on my, I get into my short breath. I get, I can feel my body getting yeah. like, oh, just like oh, blah, blah, blah. Not really. <laughs> and yeah. all that does is spur on more fucking questions. Yeah. And it's just like, I have to really take a minute to stop and just take a deep breath and learn to say, you know what, bud, I actually need to go and figure out the best information I can give you because I don't think I'm doing a very good job or whatever, because I know I need to regroup. And so your model is so beautiful because you're right. There are goalposts. There is sort of a a structure ish to follow, but so much of it is about um, just letting your child lead in a way and responding um, in a way yeah. that's helpful to them while still yeah. making it appropriate and truthful. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. So I just want to like hats off to you. Thank you. That. I appreciate that. Please excuse me while I interrupt myself to talk to you about ways that you can work with me, Danica. You can sign up for a human design session with me where we go over your chart in depth, either a level one or a level two reading for those of you that have a little bit of base knowledge already. You can also sign up for a reading to get your own chart and your child's chart read or really any secondary chart if you'd rather it be your partner. All of these sessions are in-depth overviews of your human design for those of you that want to go deep in understanding your design. For those of you that just want to dip your toe in the water, especially in regards to understanding your children, I have human design parenting courses. These courses are tools to put in your toolkit to try and understand the little humans that you are raising in regards to their type in human design. These courses are broken down into four easily digestible segments, totaling about 30 to 40 minutes each. You can stop and start when you like, and we'll walk away with practical strategies for how to work with your child's design instead of against them. I've put a lot of love into these videos, both in my understanding of human design, but also my understanding of children from being an elementary school teacher and a mother going through the thick of it just like you. When you purchase these courses, you're then also given access to what's called the remainder reading where I go over the main elements of your child's chart, which then equates to having a full level one reading done of them. This reading is only available if you've already bought the Human Design Parenting course. It's very exclusive. Even though my website is currently under construction, this is still where you will be able to book a reading and find the courses, danicamarie.com. That's Danica with a C. 
or in my Instagram bio link tree at raise.the.room on Instagram. All right, enough of me. Let's get back to the episode, which I guess is more me. I'm also was snickering about your kids aren't resilient thing. You know what? Thank you for saying this. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to really let that sink in because a child suppressing their feelings in the moment is not resilience. Correct. And um, yes, they, they can do amazing things and they can live in horrifying fucking conditions, but that shows up later. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I think we would call those maladaptive coping strategies. Yes. And amen that you developed them. And yes. Yes. Like amazing survival. And you know, mm-hmm. how amazing that your brain took care of you and now you yes. dissociate or how amazing that you learned how to problem solve in this way. Yes. But they're maladaptive for a reason. Yes. Right. Completely. And I think, you know, we can't have the conversation about resilience without the conversation around compassion Mm. and how we are also looking at parents right now with, Oh, you got this. You're so resilient. We -hmm. do the same thing. So it just trickles downhill when Mm -hmm. we have parents who are pushed to the max, they're working Mm -hmm. multiple jobs. They can't find childcare. You know, they live in super close to the line every month. Mm -hmm. And then there there's no support for them to practice and build resilience. And then there's this gap then with children that are also being, well, you got this. You're so resilient. Mm, Interesting because I share that a lot. I always like at the end of a strategy, I'll share like happy parenting. You've got this. Mm -hmm. Maybe I I need to rethink that. (laughs) Encouragement's never a bad idea. Yeah. But you're right. It is like one of those things where um, you don't want it to become something that encourages sort of turning a blind eye. Yeah. And there yeah. is, you've got this, but they're also hand in hand has to be. And these are the tangible supports yes. that I'm going to give you to get to this. Yes. You're not, we're not telling you you've got this and sending you on your way without anything tangible. So it's, I think it's both. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. I, I also, I used to like whine about this when I was a new parent and I used to hate um, being in situations with people. Typically it was like extended family or I'm thinking about situations where I was around parents of an older generation Mm -hmm. and they love to push back on things that we're doing now that weren't that way when they were younger and yada, yada. And like one that used to drive me crazy is when people would not understand the car seat situation about mm. our kids needing to use a car seat. Well, again, we I just sat in a you know a bicycle yeah. helmet on the front seat and blah blah blah, and I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. And like I would get so annoyed because I would go home and be like, you know, people's kids died. Mm-hmm. in car accidents. And so we came up with this system like, and now you are, you know, patronizing me in front of everybody because I'm not letting my child get in your truck without the car seat. Like, give me a break or, and what's actually coming out is almost like in some situations, their uh, frustration at not being able to unhook or hook up the car seat. 
Mm-hmm. And that's coming out in ways of just sort of chastising you. Like, I don't know. There's so many examples of that when you're a new parent where yeah, things changed for a reason. And yeah. I feel like sometimes there's a lack of sensitivity or compassion, like you said, to the people that have had to go through the hellish experience so that we have X, Y, Z. Yeah. And if you put that in the context of like the developmentalist lens. Yeah. So sometimes people, I'm using the term developmentalist. Sometimes people talk about like conscious parenting Mm -hmm. or attachment-based parenting. Yes. And just to be super clear, like developmentalist attachment connection parenting, you know, it is equal parts firm and kind. Yes. It is not permissive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I under stress will be more permissive than I would like because I lean in that direction. Same. Right? So I got my own stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go there, but I got my own stuff. I got a little bit of an insecure attachment, a little bit, I'm working mm-hmm. on it, lots of work on it. So that means that under stress, I'm going to be a little bit more permissive, but I know in my head to be a really good developmentalist based parent, I am equal parts from mankind because I'm creating this like secure, structured, safe place. So my kids have this energy of like oh my mom's got this she's really kind she's fair she's hearing me and my mom has got this yes big mom energy is showing up not oh my mom is being easy to push around right so that's a big important difference and to, to sort of liken it to the example that you just gave if you're talking to somebody from a different generation who believe that a child's behavior towards them is something that they take personally Mm -hmm. so like you little shit, how mm-hmm. dare you mm-hmm. tell me no, or whatever it might be. And then there's me raising my kids saying, hmm, okay, I want to know how you feel about that. So I'm interested in what's under the behavior, what's behind mm-hmm. the behavior, what becomes, what comes before the behavior, because I believe behaviors communication, like we're not going to have a meeting of the minds. No. <laughs> Right? No. They are not going to be like, oh, I see your new way of parenting. Yeah. They're yeah. going to think, man, your kid is walking all over you. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, sometimes we don't talk about that when you are a behaviorist parent, so you're responding to the behavior. You know, when you're jumping on their kid to behave differently in the moment, you get an immediate result. Mm-hmm. It's not a necessarily long term, but it's immediate. When you're a developmentalist and you're talking about how your child feels and what's going on for them and what they're feeling and you're doing the deep empathy, I'm furrowing my eyebrows because that's, you know, empathy lives here between the eyebrows. And when I'm really empathetic, I squinch up a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm doing that now. When you're doing that, it is not immediate. We are, we are, it's hard, hard work with long-term outcomes. Yeah, girl. I mean- I am also a broken record about this. I constantly talk about the fact that, hey, guys, we are here for the long game parenting. Yeah. <laughs> and there are times when we need quick fixes, like we need the iPad for the long car trip sometimes, and that's fine. But um, most of the time, the strategies that we're implementing aren't going to give us the the pleasing result in the middle of it. It's yeah. it's for later. It's for down the road. So totally. I feel you. I share yeah. about that all the time. And I think that's really a good reminder that like, yeah, we're not going to have a meeting of the minds with everybody and we do need to let oh. that go. And actually in my episode that I talked about being triggered by your kids, 
I had a whole section on um, being triggered as a parent because of how you are being perceived as a parent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's the invitation, right? Yeah. Like every time I'm triggered, I'm like, oh, here's the, here's the invite. Mm -hmm. I don't always want it. No. Yeah. Fuck you. But that's what it is, right? That (laughs) is like, okay, something's here for me to look at. Something's here for, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. I really, you know, it's hard. It takes a lot of energy and sometimes it feels lonely, but we, because it doesn't feel, you know, you feel like, well, is everybody else working this hard? Why is Mm, this hard? Yes. But the outcome, you know, the long, the, the long term, long game, yeah, is that we have securely connected and attached kids who are communicating to us about what they're feeling and thinking and who, when they go through a life change as an adult, because it's going to happen, there's going to be major loss, major grief, major upset. They look back at an incident and where an adult walked them through a process of knowing what has happened, knowing what's happening now, what's knowing what's going to happen in the future, and they have some tools. So instead of, um, you know, having a primal response of trauma, they're like, okay, I remember h- how this went before, and I I am going to be able to navigate this because I have these tools, and I know that I need to talk about it, and I know that I need information, and mm. that's the goal in all cases, right? That we're really resourcing our tiny humans to be secure, competent adults who are, you know, as least often triggered by their trauma as possible. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so inspiring. It's such a good thing to, to keep in mind, especially on the lonely and and hard nights where you wonder like, what I've messed them up. What am I doing? Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's inevitable. A little bit. Part and parcel for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you know about the 30%, right? That we only so there's you know these smart researchers these smart scientists mm-hmm. have studied sort of trauma and the impact of parenting and one caregiver only has to get parenting caregiving right thirty mm-hmm. percent of the time to have your kids sail into adulthood in a positive healthy way so mm-hmm. we have a very wide margin of error thirty mm-hmm. percent of the time is all we need. To reduce wow. harm. Wow. Yeah. I One caring adult. That. That's the stat. That's really exciting. I'm going to loosen my reins. I'm not going to try as hard. I'm just <laughs> I know. Oh, that's great. Actually, thank yeah. you. That's that's so encouraging. Um, And just like for the record, the cookie recipe in the back oh, of yes. the book can confirm absolutely okay. delicious. Perfect. And... I, before we sort of move on from the book, I do just want everybody to know that the, the cookie metaphor, the cookie analogy throughout the book is so cute and so dead on. And, um, I think, or I know the book deals with some heavy stuff or, um, you know, it's not like you said, a beach read, but it kind of is. You really have a gift of writing it in a way that's easily digestible. That's fun. That's personal. I feel like I, you know, got to know you mm-hmm. a little bit more. And I, I'm, I will admit I'm a terrible nonfiction reader. I, I mm-hmm. want to be desperately. I buy the books. I have a very hard time finishing a nonfiction Fair. book. 
Um, like I said, I'm very story driven, you know, like it's one of those yeah. things I hated about myself. I blame it on being a second line. Cause like, yeah. it just, it doesn't come naturally. I have to learn about mm-hmm. it. Ugh, no, thanks. But this book was so easy to read. Mm, so you. you should That's feel proud of it. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Thank you really you. should. Um, <laughs> yeah. Especially because even when I started this podcast, I, um, I had a whole episode just talking about myself and like, it felt pretty awkward, but I was like, I know nobody is going to want to listen to me talking about parenting or human design if they don't know who I am. It's so true. So when you said your publisher said the same thing, I, I was like, yeah. And that was, I loved those bits of the book. I was like, yeah. nosy as hell. Tell me more about your life, Michelle. Totally, <laughs> like- <laughs> right? I know. Someone managed me in the grocery store and was like, I read your book and I feel like I know you. Yeah. You do. Yes. You really do if you read it. Like there's no, yeah, there's, of course, as writers, we we keep some things as you should uh, for yourself. And and it's there's a saying in writing that we want to write from the scar, not the wound. Mm. So you're not writing from sort of an open, like, you know, yes. anyone who knows my content knows that I have been divorced and mm-hmm. I had some loss and I I wrote about those things, but we're not writing from an open gaping wound that leaves us really vulnerable, right? Yes. We're writing from sort of a, a healed place where we can mm-hmm. offer some insight based on our lived experience. So thank you. I'm glad that you found it mostly easy to read. And yes. I will, if it's your only nonfiction book, I will take it. <laughs> yeah. I have so many that I've read 50% of. So it yeah, is what it fair is. enough. Yeah. Um, fair. And this is a great segue because I'm, you know, nosy curious mm. yes. you know yes. the year after writing the book after yes. you've like spilled your guts out to the world yeah tell me about this time are you still working in social work have you not been for a while like what what's mm-hmm. it looking like what are you dealing with yeah it's awkward yeah it's all awkward <laughs> mm. um so I had been with the provincial government up until a year before the book um, and I have not returned to that, but I have dabbled a little bit in um, the social service field. So I did some work at a pediatric clinic that I really loved. And right mm-hmm. now I'm working part-time at a family resource program mm-hmm. in Ladysmith, which is just um, like a very real, very grounding, very uh, uh, role that requires a lot of presence. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good fit for me right now. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many parts of launching the book that were really uncomfortable for me. So as much as the writing was like coming home, the idea of like hustling it. So encouraging people to actually buy it. I mm-hmm. don't, I did not love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the um, showing up mm-hmm. as the author of the book was uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um And so there was sort of this like big energy around launching a book and putting yourself out there in a way. And, um, you know, there's going to be as many as people cheering for you. There's also those people that are like, who does she think she is writing a book? Mm. Does she qualify to write a book? Why did she do that? Or how did she do that? And lots of misconceptions about um, the money that you're going to make writing a book. Nobody writing a book. If you're not famous, no one's getting rich. Mm -hmm. That's not why we write books. Mm -hmm. Um, so just lots of sort of awkward conversations, 
with people who are really curious, you know, how much money did you make? How many copies did you sell? Um, and it took me a long time to what felt like a long time. It took me like six months post-launch to get to a place where I felt like I could say it's been a very rewarding experience, mm. which is a nice way of saying, like, I'm not going to tell you how many books I sold. Mm-hmm. Not that, but mm-hmm. it took me a while to get there. And then I just have realized that, um, that in writing as much about myself as I did and talking about my, you know, my ex-husband and my relationship with my children and my relationship now and some of my own ways of um, interpreting my own lived experiences, it was like putting a bow on it. That was my Mm -hmm. thinking. Like, look at me sorting all this out and here's a nice bow and here's my book. And, and instead it was very much like a resurrection. And so I have spent this time um, like re-looking at things and looking at them differently and some of um, like uh, looking at relationships a bit differently. Um, And of course, life carries on. So I've had, um, you know, continued challenges in my relationship with my Mm ex-spouse as you do when you continue to co-parent. Yeah. That's not any shade to him or me, Mm -hmm. just... Mm -hmm you continue to have to work through stuff. And so I'm trying to just walk my talk, which Mm -hmm. is the being is the doing. Mm -hmm. We're just being in it. Mm -hmm. So I feel quite vulnerable in the world, both because the book is out there and I don't know who's read it or not read it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a little bit of a sense of vulnerability also because there's an expectation that now, um, you know, am I successful? Is it successful? Was mm. it success? So there's that. Mm. And then I just feel more vulnerable because there's, a, you know, I think you can get so real that you're almost raw. Yes. And so just, I'm just really trying to be okay with yeah. all of that mm-hmm. um, and continue to attune and connect and show up for my kids in that realness. I also have more clarity now that like empathy is the, is the real, you know, pinpoint of that attuning and connection. Mm-hmm. And in my model, as I've done some more speaking, especially with educators, I think that uh, I could lose people with all of the content around relationships. But if I could get really clear on the, on the message of empathy, mm-hmm. the one piece, mm-hmm you know, that, that, that could help people be exposed to the content who might be more resistant. Right. Actually. And as you were talking about your current job, I was like, she needs to get in the school in with the school district. If you haven't already, I have done a a couple different um, prodies. I would say that, you know, teachers are working so hard and they have such a um, complex job in that they're often working with children who have caregivers that aren't present or mm. just so just as an example, you know, I, I'm I'm talking about this model about how we talk to kids about their life changes like a diagnosis. And they might have a student that has a parent that's like, oh, I don't want my kid to know about their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So they're working in a system that mm-hmm. really limits how much they can do with this type of model. Right. Yeah. And they, so I feel like there's room for it, but yeah, with a lot of maybe some maneuvering and some grace and just a lot of compassion for how much they're juggling and how hard they're working and how tired they are. And so if I show up and I'm like, guys, it's all about relationship. Come on. Yeah. Like that's not overly helpful. You know, but it, as 
us teachers here time and time again, it's the end of every fucking workshop. It's the end of every pro D. It's the end of every new strategy. Like if a teacher is bitching about that being what you're offering them, then they have not been listening. Mm-hmm. And they have not been paying attention because maybe this is where the clarity on empathy can really come in because mm-hmm. that is the stuff. Maybe your full model is too personal for a teacher student relationship or the mm-hmm. majority of them. But every educator that has made a difference in a student's life has treated the kids or responded in an empathetic way. Agreed. And, you know, it's funny because who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody recently that went in schools and yeah. And they were talking about how, when you ask the school population, the kids who their favorite teachers are, it's like the same four teachers every time in every school. And it's not because they did the most. It's not because their lessons were the best. It's because they cared about the kids that were coming into their room. They asked them how the weekend were. They were concerned about the incident that happened on the weekend. Like, Empathy is the thing. And yeah, fair. Maybe they're not walking away with a shiny new lesson planning tool, but like we need people to be spreading the message over and over again that that's what it's about because kids are not learning from people they don't feel connected to straight up. Or if they are, it's gone very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And I don't think we have to look far to be supported in our belief of that. No. you look at mm-hmm. all of Dr. Jody's work around empathy and schools and educators, like she is sounding the alarm. Yeah. Like yeah. If we Wait, Dr. Jody. Dr. Jody Carrington. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. Okay. Right? Talks yeah. a lot about, you know, we all just want to be feeling, we all just want to feel seen. Yeah. Yes. And so how do we do that in a school environment? Yes, completely. And, yeah. And it is empathy. It's the vehicle. It, it is. It's the vehicle. I love that. It sounds like your year and this process of after the book is like just as juicy, if not more so than the actual writing. And (laughs) that's a very positive reframe. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I do. I send you love. Like I think, I think it's tricky navigating um, just being authentic and being vulnerable Mm -hmm. with the world. I think you've also had a really interesting situation where people are straight up asking you about money, which like in our culture is not super what's the word accepted. So what what was that in your field that was pulling in that question so regularly? That's so strange. You know, I think people are just generally um, like the world of publishing is kind of foreign. True. And so, um, you know, there's self-publishing and yes. there's, you know, celebrity publishing. Yes. You can get an advance for publishing. And so I think people are just generally curious. Right. At, like, and lots of people have great ideas for writing books. Yes. And don't know what to do with that. Like, yes. do I get an agent? Do I get a publisher? And so I think people are just generally curious. Mm-hmm. I also think when you put yourself out there and say, mm-hmm. hey, I wrote this book and it's great and you should buy it, it gives people permission to say, "Yeah, well, how'd that pan out for you? Right. So um, I just didn't think that through. And, you know, this is where I do my projector thing here where mm. we, as projectors, we zoom out and it's like mm. the people that are saying that to you, that is a reflection of them. And their insecurities. That is a reflection of their um, lack of self worth. 
mm-hmm. and needing to pull others down to where they're at. So when you zoom out and you think in the course of your lifetime, how are you feeling about having done this, having birthed this really cool thing into your life? How are you feeling about the fact that, yeah, this year is hard, but you're trying to meet it with as much grace and compassion and empathy as you can. Like that is what it's about. And the person asking those questions, they're not even a blip in time when you mm-hmm. zoom out to the end of your life and what yes, you absolutely. feel good about accomplishing and yes. not. Yeah. Yeah. And all invitations to look at, you know, how do you want to respond to these and what does matter to you? Yeah. 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 It's like you've had to like do marathon training on like how to <laughs> like, yeah. properly give people answers that like shut yeah. them down nicely. <laughs> That's right. That's, That's wild. So funny. Well, um, Michelle, I'm just remembering mm. that I do this or that at the end of yes, my podcast. Like for this or okay, that. Great. Let me... I'm most excited about it. Okay. I'm hey. curious what, let me just get to my questions because I forgot and I didn't have them open. Um, all right, my friend. Okay. Mountains or beach? Beach. Yeah. We're island girls. It is right? what it is. Hundred percent. Cats or dogs? Cats, but don't tell my dog. <laughs> do you have both yeah I'm okay. a cat person through and through I love my I have a three-legged cat I adore but I like my dog too she's yes sweet. yeah love that okay um coffee or tea coffee 100% yeah. all the way and coffee iced or hot hot actually mm-hmm. okay love it um vacation or staycation both I'd like both in equal measure that is the two four. Like I need to be a hermit, but I also need to be with my people. So like I yeah. can't, I can't choose. I feel the yeah. same actually. Yeah. Um, passenger or driver? Passenger if my husband's driving. He's okay. very good. And I feel mm-hmm. nice and safe and secure. Probably a driver with anybody <laughs> else. Great. Pizza or tacos? Oh, that's the word. <laughs> this is the one fun. that I get pushed back on every time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I really love both equally, and there's yeah. a time and a place for both. But I'll go with wood fired pizza for today. Mm, love that you specified that. So Gosh. good. Did you know that um every Friday is homemade pizza night at my house? I love that. Except we've been, had such a weirdo schedule lately that we haven't yeah. done it in the last handful of Fridays. My son the other day was like, you know, this frozen pizza that you're giving us no, is just is not, not the same. <laughs> really got up your game I I love pizza night that makes me feel warm yes warm and fuzzy yes and we let the kids watch a movie like we all watch a movie while we eat it so it's the best night of the week it's great that okay but this isn't about me shut up down okay okay okay. okay. um attend a party or host a party oh I'm gonna go with host love yeah okay sharing food or fingers off my food uh I'll share. Okay. Yeah. Android or iPhone? Um an Android. Are you? Yeah, I don't I think... like I don't like new tech. I like to just go with what I know. I hate well, new tech. I think that's why I'm on an iPhone. It's because I'm yeah. not making the switch to Android at this no, point. That's right. I started yeah. as an Android and the life for now. I can't, I can't I can't merge and I don't want a new remote and we don't need new technology. Stop. <laughs> We've got a green message person here, people. All right. Um, now these are just questions. 
Okay. What is currently on your nightstand? Mm, two books. Mm-hmm. One is a Sam Irby book called The uh, Quietly Hostile. Okay. And the other one, I forget her name, Ruth Ruth Ozaki. Uh, yeah. Fiction or nonfiction? That one is uh, fiction, which okay. I don't usually read. But Aww. yeah, I'm going to crack that this summer. So. Fun. Love yeah, that. Yeah, like the people place or something. Yeah. Okay. I'm not doing her any justice that I don't remember. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Solid. Um, what is something that you regularly crave or obsess over or something that's like looping in your mind regularly? Mm, uh, wanting to move my mo- body more. Mm, generator like, vibes. Like thinking about like, oh, I, I would love to do a yoga later or I mm-hmm. should start running again or I haven't swam in a while or like I think about I think about moving my body a lot. Oh, I love that. Mm. Wish that was me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Doesn't mean I actually am. I <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, last one. What is one hope for the future? Yours, everybody's, whatever comes first. Mm. That everybody knows my model was right. No. That's right. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question and a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, that we are able to sort of see all the beauty in the world as a reflection of ourselves and just move through our days with this kind of um, mirror of like all the beauty we see is actually coming from within. Whew. That's deep. I love that. Right? That'd be great. That's such a writer's answer. You need to write that <laughs> down, sister. <laughs> That's the next book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, good. Um, well, Michelle, I hope that roomies, so people that listen to the podcast, find your book, Crummy Conversations, How to Talk with Kids About Death, Divorce, Diagnosis, Disaster, and Departure, mm-hmm. um, because it's so helpful. And if you are a roomie, you're already in this world of parenting in this way. And I just think this book gives such a beautiful framework for people to follow, especially in the times where we need it the most, where things feel the most uncertain. So I commend you for just doing your generator thing, following that response that was in you and just writing the whole dang book. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. So lovely to connect with you. Yes, we will be in touch more. Um, so Michelle, for all that you're doing and all that you are, thank you for raising the room. Oh, oh, before I sign off, where can people find you? Yeah. So you can find me at Tough Cookie Communications. I'm better at IG than I am Facebook, but I'm in both places. So at Tough Cookie Communications. Love that. And as a generator, the way that you sell your book, my friend, um, is not by hustling. It's about sharing what brings you joy about the book, about the process. It's about shining your light brightly so that people find you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I will take that to heart. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Have a good night. You too. Thank you so much for spending your precious time here with me today. If you'd like more, please follow along at raise.the.room on both Instagram and TikTok. Or you can go to my website, danicamarie.com. That's Danica with a C. Here you can book a human design session with me for you or your child 
Or you can get one of my human design parenting courses that helps you understand your child's human design type. They're designed to help you work with the child you have instead of against them. And finally, if you're still here, this would be the point where I'd ask you to rate and review the podcast, except just saying it out loud makes me want to die. So instead, I'll say, please share with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And finally, let's always remember that with all that you have to offer, you will always raise the room. Can't wait to chat soon. Bye.